Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is Friday, February 26, 2021, and it is the fourth. I'm saying that for a reason. It's the fourth. Shout out to all the good fourth. fourth. <laughs> that, that'll tie in a little bit to what we're talking about today. But it is the fourth episode of your favorite podcast, the Amen Corner Podcast. My name is Michael Purvis, and I'm your host. And alongside me is my co-host, Brother Joshua Powell. Josh, how you doing today, bro? Feeling amazing in yourself. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So we're going to be talking about a pretty interesting and yet controversial topic. Um, I feel like, well, I'll completely be honest with you. I'll start off with this. I'll completely be honest with you. I drew a blank for like the whole week about what we were going to talk about concerning this episode. But given some things that have happened in the week and also shout out to Josh Brain. I called him in like the middle of the night and we had a, a quick brainstorming <laughs> session about what we would talk about. And we came up with the topic concerning Greek life. And we're going to be talking about basically, is it a sin to be a part of a Greek little organization? That is something that Josh and I, a topic I should say that Josh and I are pretty well versed on. So hopefully we'll be able to get some good dialogue out of this conversation. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to inform some individuals who either are a part of Greek letter organizations or maybe looking to be a part of Greek letter organizations about um, what we do and specifically who we are. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into these trending topics. Um, first off, I want to start off by saying that um, part of the reason why I was basically drawing a blank concerning our main topic is because there was another topic that I, I had considered dedicating a episode to but due to some certain circumstances um, they were not able to get to that and I'm specifically talking about uh, the Church of God in Christ quadrennial election um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Church of God in Christ the Church of God in Christ is the largest African-American Pentecostal denomination in the world um, it was founded in 1907 yes, by Bishop C.H. Mason who uh, God gave a vision to and we have been going strong for the last, I want to say, 114 years, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a pretty, this is a topic I'm pretty well versed on, due to the fact that I am a third generation member of the Church of God in Christ. You'll hear more about um, my experience and my family's experience concerning that as we uh, journey on into the duration of the show. But um, this has been a pretty historic time period for the Church of God in Christ. Um, as many of you already know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, there is a pretty um, horrible pandemic that has been going on, and the Church of God in Christ has been greatly affected by that pandemic. Um, we have lost some very prominent leaders in our church due to the pandemic, and also um, a few months ago, our presiding bishop, which essentially is the president, the CEO, in corporate terms, they would be the president or the CEO of our organization um, by the name of Bishop Charles E. Blake. Uh, recently celebrated his 80th birthday this past year and also announced that he was not going to be running for re-election for the office of presiding bishop. Um, this is a pretty historical moment for us as members of the Church of God in Christ due to the fact that we've never had a presiding bishop retire 
from the office of presiding bishop. Usually when that office changes, it is because the previous presiding bishop has transitioned or because there was an incumbent that was in office that was defeated during the quadrennial election. And when I say quadrennial, every four years it has been put in our constitution that we come and we vote for the officers of our church. So we were supposed to have this quadrennial election, and it usually takes place after our holy convocation in November, after we um, go through all of the uh, services for that. There is an extra few days that is dedicated to voting in the quadrennial election. Well, because of the pandemic, we were forced to cancel our convocation. So it really put us in a very historical moment due to the fact that we would not be voting for these officers straight out of the Holy Convocation. Um, the Holy Convocation was going also pretty significant in the year of 2020 due to the fact that it was going to be the last year that we would be hosting it in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri is where we located in the year 2010 um, after we had been for the past 100 and some odd years in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, where we are currently headquartered. Well, now that Memphis, Tennessee has added some things as far as convention centers and hotels and what have you, we have signed a three-year deal to return back to Memphis this year, hopefully, if the pandemic uh, slows down and we're somewhat able to have a convocation, we'll be meeting in Memphis. So this was going to be the last year that we would meet in St. Louis. So the Office of Presiding Bishop and as well as some seats on the general board the general board of the Church of God in Christ serves as the board of directors of the Church of God in Christ. Um, there were a great number of prominent leaders that who are part of the general board who either succumbed to COVID-19 or other illnesses that they suffered with during that time. Um, our first assistant presiding bishop, the late Bishop P.A. Brooks, passed away. Some individuals such as uh, Bishop Ted Thomas, Bishop Nathaniel Wells, um, and Bishop Matthew Williams, who were all members of the general board, um, transitioned to go home to be with the Lord in this past year. So there's left a good amount of seats open on the general board, which also makes this a historical moment in our church's history. Um, there are also the offices of, of trustee board, um, secretary, finance secretary, and what have you, were also open up to election. So do, because of the pandemic and because of the events that were taking place in the pandemic, we were not, like I said, we were not able to have that election, but our chairman of the General Assembly, Bishop Lemuel Thuston, um, actually came up with a plan for individuals to be able to vote online, which also makes this a very historical election. Um, this is the first time in a long time, well, this is the first time ever, really, I should say, that the Church of God in Christ has conducted electronic voting, even when we were doing the elections in the quadrennial, when they were in the convocation, they were handled by paper ballots and there was never a official online voting system that was created. So this was the first time that we were able to have that. And because of that, and because of the fact that we did not host it at the convocation, there were members of the General Assembly and delegates of the General Assembly who would not usually have a chance to vote in the quadrennial election that received the opportunity to vote in the quadrennial election. So this also made it a historical moment, but this also caused problems due to the fact that the online service actually crashed due to the overactivity mm. of individuals on the, um, on the servers that were conducting the voting. Um, as I looked through Facebook, there were even prominent uh, department leaders and bishops and pastors and, uh, and the likes of what have you that were, able to, uh, that were not able to cast their vote. 
Um, my pastor from Minnesota, uh, Pastor McKinley Moore, I know he's going to listen to this, so shout out to you, Pastor. Um, I texted him, I want to say around 3 or 4 o'clock on Tuesday, because I hadn't heard it. I had mostly heard people that were not getting in to vote, but I did not know if they were, um, I did not hear anything else about after that. This is around 2 in the afternoon, you started to hear about people not being able to vote. And then later on, I started to see in the afternoon that some people were able to get in and vote. So I contacted my pastor to see what was going on concerning the General Assembly. He has been a delegate for, uh, I don't know how long. So I knew he would know something about it. And he texted me back and said that because of the overactivity and the constant crashing of the website, instead of further belaboring the time, that they uh, that we would go ahead and, um, what should I say? We would go ahead and postpone the general election until next Tuesday, March 1st, 2021. So the voting mm-hmm. will officially begin on Tuesday, March 21st. I mean, not March, March 1st, excuse me, for the general election or the quadrennial election of the Church of God in Christ. Um, as far as who is running for the office of presiding bishop, um, I think that because of certain circumstances, I don't know the specific details, but some individuals, I guess, they have decided or have chosen not to specifically come out and say that they are part of the general, that they are running specifically, I should say, for the office of presiding bishop. So most usually when you see their campaigns, they'll say general board and beyond, to somewhat implicate that they are putting themselves in the race for the office of presiding bishop. And so far, there have been four incumbents who are already on the general board who have expressed their opinion concerning um, if they want to run. Um, that has been the Bishop Jerry Macklin out of California, who currently serves as the first assistant presiding bishop. Um, is also is Bishop Cedric Daniels out of Wisconsin, who serves as the second assistant presiding bishop. Um, bishop J. Drew Sheard out of Michigan. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because he is married to Karen Clark Sheard of the, uh, of the Clark Sisters. And also the Bishop Brandon B. Porter of Tennessee, and actually a part of Memphis, Tennessee. So we'll see, most likely out of those four individuals, who was going to become the next presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, as well as the general board, and as well as the other offices that need to be occupied. Now, there's something that I saw this morning as I was uh, checking my social media feed, and it's kind of got people scratching their heads Mm -hmm. across the Church of God in Christ. Uh, I meant to send this to you, Josh, but um, Bishop Porter actually sent out a certain um, a certain statement, and I'm, I don't really have time to go into it and read it, but based off of his statement that was made, and based off of a flyer that was actually released by our General Assembly Chairman, it has some people thinking that um, in the case of our general election that there may have been somebody that was tampering with the system. Um, if you look at the flyer of that Bishop Thuston posted concerning the General Assembly, in big red letters, it said cyber attack. And also in the, the, the verbiage that uh, Bishop Porter was using when it came to him writing his uh, certain statement about the events that transpired on Tuesday, it mm-hmm. kind of made it sound like somebody was tampering with the system as well. Um, he did say that the general board will, um, after they meet, there will be a, an official announcement that commences around noon. So um, I'm going to be looking to be able to see what is going on with that. And hopefully 
not only will I be able to give you an update when I come back on the next episode about what has gone on and about the results of the election, but hopefully we'll know what happened on this past Tuesday and be able to get some sort of idea of how we'll be able to fix that. So that is the first trending topic. I know that was a little bit lengthy, so I'll try to expedite the next few. So um, according to Christianity Today, uh, the black church is taking on a leading role in the COVID vaccine distribution. Um, The National Black Church Initiative, or the NBCI, which represents historic black denominations and partners with Latino leaders, has been lobbying the federal government for a more comprehensive plan to address disparities in the COVID-19 vaccine uptake. NBCI President Anthony Evans wants to see the government more deliberately use churches' built-in trust and familiarity to make the vaccine more accessible for minority populations. Evans said at a press conference at Mount Zion Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. last week that he supports the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommendations for who should become vaccinated first, but worries that African Americans and Latinos who qualify because of their age and underlying medical conditions aren't getting the vaccine due to certain um, questions concerning accessibility. So when it came to how this uh, the NBCI would go in and recruit certain, I don't really want to say recruit, but how they would get the word out and make the vaccine more accessible and to uh, further educate individuals within the African-American communities about the vaccine, um, they have put together response teams according to zip code. And they have sent in individuals who, like they said in the, the article actually specifically said that they sent in articles who, that they sent in response teams filled with individuals who look like us. So a, individuals who are African-American and minorities are going into certain neighborhoods and educating individuals about what the vaccine is and why it is important to get the vaccine and also being able to make it more accessible for certain individuals. So as of right now, a representative from Health and Human Services has not responded to the comments concerning the NBCI plan, but they also have agreed in solidarity that this is very important and this is very needed for our community. So hopefully we'll be able to see the black church. I know that uh, my church, Greater Shiloh Church, has partnered with St. Luke's in order to be able to offer um, individuals who may have not may, or may not have accessibility to get the vaccine, um, has offered them an opportunity to actually be able to partake in that. So hopefully we'll be able to see the black, as we talked yesterday about what the black church's role in the pandemic and how we'll, we'll be able to help the communities. So hopefully we'll be able to see um, how that'll play out as far as how we'll be able to get the vaccine more accessible to individuals who need it. All right, so... As many of you all may know, it is still Black History Month. We are coming up on the last few days of this great, great month. And if you've been tuning into the podcast, I know you have uh, listened to and enjoyed our Black History Month highlight. where We have taken time to be able to highlight certain individuals who have had a great impact as far as ministry is concerned and very, very notable individuals. Um, when it came to this last week of Black History Month, I drew a blank on uh, who we were going to talk about for this uh, last segment that we're going to be doing. And then a very, very great individual popped into my mind. And this is a very great individual, uh, not only because of the impact that he has uh, had and the things that he has done, but also uh, how much he means to myself and how much he means to our family. So uh, I'm going to take this last part of 
Black History of our Black History Month highlight to um, talk about the late great Elder James Lloyd. Elder James Lloyd was the founding pastor of the Lord's Chapel Church of God in Christ, which is my family's home church. So, just to give you some background about Elder James Lloyd, Elder Lloyd was born on May 10th, 1925, to Luke and Lee Otterbridge Lloyd. He entered the U.S. Army and then served in World War II. Mm. In 1947, he married the love of his life, Miss Eva Mae Bynum. Um, just to give you all just a quick background there, we had a very great relationship with our pastor and our uh, founding first lady. Our pastor has gone on to be with the Lord, but his wife is still here with us in the land of the living. We called Elder Lloyd Papa, and we called uh, uh, Miss Eva Mae Bynum, as it says here, Mama. It, it was actually got to a point I didn't really know uh, Mama's first name until about I turned ten or eleven. That's a, that's actually a true story. I did not know her actual name like at all. Somebody said Eva May, and I was like, "Who is that?" <laughs> I'm being completely serious, man. I did not know her. I did not know her actual <clears throat> name. I knew Elder Lloyd's name because he always had a plaque in his office that said Elder James J. Lloyd, and I always used to look at it. But I really didn't know Mama's name until like. I actually got a little bit old. I, was, I may, maybe not ten or eleven, but like right until about the time I got like five or six, maybe a little bit older than that was when I actually learned what her what her real name was. <laughs> but we thank God for both of them and Mama. I don't know if she'll listen to this, but if she does, Mama, we love you and you're so appreciated, and we thank you so much for the impact that you have had on our lives. Um, he married the love of his life, Miss Eva May Bynum, who he met in Wilson County, and the two eventually settled in Greensville, North Carolina. Also, to give a little bit more context, they were in a certain area towards downtown Greenville, and now currently, and even still to this day, they live around the corner from our house that is actually in North Carolina. So if we wanted, if we were down south, I could literally get in my car and maybe drive a minute and a half and be at Papa and Mama's house. So they live right around the corner from us in the Lake Ellsworth neighborhood of Greenville, North Carolina. Um... So in 1947, he married uh, Mama, and they met. And they met in Wilson County, and they settled in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, Elder Lord accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior under the leadership of Elder A. B. Malone at the church called the Bottom. At the death of Elder Malone, Bishop Wyoming Wells, and if you were uh, paying attention to the beginning part of the episode, you heard me mention the general board of the Church of God in Christ. Bishop Wyoming Wells is a very significant individual within the Church of God in Christ because. He was one of the initial members of the general board when it was established in the late 60s. And also, he was mm. uh, even before then, he had, had a very prominent impact on the Church of God in Christ. And he is very much an intricate founding father of the Church of God in Christ. So under his leadership, uh, Elder Lloyd received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as the church grew under Bishop Wells' ministry, there was a need for a new edifice. Um, Elder Lloyd, who was a carpenter by trade, um, actually helped with the construction of the new church and as far as laying the foundation and even signing the deed of the church. And uh, the church would eventually change its name from the bottom to, as it's known, even to this day as Wells Chapel, Church of God in Christ. Um, Elder Lowe was a very intricate part of Bishop Wells' life due to the fact that he served as a driver for him and also served as Sunday school superintendent and choir member uh, for Wells Chapel, Church of God in Christ. And in the late 1960s, around 1967, the Lord accepted his call to the ministry, and Bishop Wells began to utilize him and the late district missionary Velma Moore to um, lead the church when 
Bishop Wells was away. And that was, I th- I'm pretty sure that was pretty often because Bishop Wells not only had Wells Chapel in Greenville, North Carolina, and also as far as his uh, responsibilities on the general board, but he also pastored Wells Memorial Church of God in Christ, which is located in Greensboro, North Carolina. So he was actually pastoring two churches in two different cities at that time, which I know would um, require a little bit more of his time. So Elder Lloyd and Bishop Missionary Zelma Moore were actually very intricate parts to the um, leadership of Wells Chapel, Church of God in Christ. Um, Elder Lloyd would continue to do that for a few more years. And then in 1971, which side note, I'll pause here and say to all of my Lloyd's Chapel family, happy 50th anniversary to Lloyd's Chapel, Church of God in Christ. Um, In 1971, Elder Lloyd received a vision from God to go to Robinsonville and start a ministry, Robinsonville, North Carolina. When they arrived, they were welcomed by Deacon George and missionary Leela Brown to host prayer meetings within their home. And they quickly outgrew the home and began to look for a church. A small house became available to them. And and that's when Holy Mission, Church of God in Christ, was founded. Holy Mission, Mm -hmm. Church of God in Christ, was the beginning stages of Lloyd's Chapel, Church of God in Christ. And Holy Mission is especially significant to my father's side of the family. And this is why. Um, Well, actually, before I get into that, let me just give you a little bit of of background concerning Holy Mission, Church of God in Christ. Holy Mission, Church of God in Christ was was not a state-of-the-art model church as we would think of it now. Um, it was. It didn't have like the the LED walls. You know, we've come a long way as far as church. We didn't have the LED walls and and live streaming and all of that and all of that stuff. It was a um, it was an older house that was converted into a church. Could only seat about seventy individuals. Had a uh, had a gas heater that actually my father told stories that there was one time where the gas heater actually went out. Another Lord and all of the members of the church came in and said, well. We're going to praise the Lord today, and that's how we're going to get warm. And by the end of the service, by, by the time folks had gotten through dancing and shouting, everybody in the church was sweating. So <laughs> that just lets y'all know that they, instead of using um, gas heat, they used body heat, praise the Lord, to be able to heat that building. And also, the walls were made of sheetrock. There was, um, there was about 70 theater seats that were within the church, uh, a wooden pulpit, wooden chairs, and an upright piano. That sat in the church, and then um, the walls were sheetrock for the most part. So, when individuals would get happy and they would shout, there's actually a story of an individual who was shouting pretty ecstatically, and actually broke the sheetrock because they were shouting so hard. So, hey, yeah. yo. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, I mean, lucky for us. Well, not really lucky, but hope, hope. Good. It was good for us that Elder Lord was already a um, carpenter. Because he was able to go ahead and mm-hmm. fix that wall up, but that's just a very funny story of how they and actually there was no running water within that house, so they used outhouses when it came to restrooms. So we have come a very, very, very long way. But the glory of God very much rested in that church, and it was also nicknamed Joyville and Happy Valley. So we worshipped in Holy Mission for eight years, and during those eight years, um, my aunt, the late Ella Mae Purvis, came and heard the word that Papa was preaching. Um, she very much enjoyed Papa's preaching and came and told my grandmother about what Papa was talking about. Um, it got Grandma's attention and also got my grandfather's attention to be able to go. They went and heard what Elder Lord was teaching. They also agreed with it. And also, um, after that, when they came back, they got my father together and his two sisters. And they said, look, 
we want all of us to be a part of the same church. At that time, my father and my uh, sisters were attending a church that was across the street and still is across the street from my um, from my grandmother's house. So after they were um, after they had got us all together, after they got my father and his sisters together, they said, "Look, we're going to go ahead and um, join this church because we like what the pastor is preaching." And specifically, they liked the fact that he said the family that prays together stays together. And that was a very vital and important part to them. And they wanted to be able to make sure that they adhere to that. So we all joined the same church. And even to this very day, my grandmother is still a member of Lord's Chapel Church. I don't know if you're going to listen to this, but hey, Grandma, I love you. (laughs) So to continue on, God blessed within those eight years that uh, Holy Mission was, uh, was up and running. And then... The Lord gave El Lord a vision in the late 70s about building and expanding. Um, when it came time to build a new building, my grandfather, the late Deacon Orlando Purvis, was a very intricate part of that. Um, the land that Lloyd's Chapel sits on to this very day, my grandfather knew the individual who owned that land. He went and talked to that individual and was able to get a great deal for the church to purchase it. And he also was one of the individuals who signed the deed to be able to get that church up and uh, to be able to get that land in the possession of the church. So once that land was cleared, the construction workers came in and they were able to lay down the foundation. They laid the framing for the church. And then my father, along with many of the other individuals and men of the church would actually get off of work, get off of school. My father was in high school at that time and they would come and they would build for uh, a great number of hours. So after the church was built, after the next two years, this is the most amazing part of the story, in my opinion, is the fact that the church was able to build as, I mean, the church was able to pay off the building as we were building the building. So by the time construction was completed for the church, we walked in completely and absolutely debt free. Wow. My grandmother served as a church secretary for many years, at any time they were able, or any time something was needed for the church, there was not really a whole lot of issues as far as being able to acquire the funds and the assets to be able to do it. So God blessed financially, and we were able to walk into a debt-free church building. We were not go into the debt building, not go into the building and pay it off later. We walked into it completely debt-free, and I think that is absolutely amazing. So that's where Lloyd's Chapel started later on in those beginning years sometime around the 80s um, Elder Lloyd was preaching at a, a, a guest church and that's when my maternal grandmother found out about Elder Lloyd and invited my mother who at that time was a um, was a student at East Carolina University my mother eventually didn't my mother at the beginning didn't really want to go because you know we was holiness and we held church for too long so but eventually she came one Sunday and pretty much didn't stop until then a few years later, she met my dad, and boom, that's how I got here. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Elder Lloyd did not only use his um, carpentry skills to be able to work on churches. There's actually a church in Washington, North Carolina, called Sudden Tabernacle Church of God in Christ, that Elder Lloyd was very vital in the construction of that, and actually assisted in the construction of that a good ch- great church that still stands to this very day. But he also used his carpentry skills to be able to help individuals around the community. Um, my paternal grandmother was a beneficiary of his uh, work and skills that he would uh, use during what he called the Love Outreach Program. 
Um, my grandmother was a hairdresser. So um, when it came time for her to officially establish her shop, she built it alongside of her house. And um, Elder Lloyd was very vital and even assisted in the construction of that beauty shop that still stands to this very day. Um, Elder Lloyd, as far as in the Church of God in Christ, served as assistant superintendent. Now, when I get to superintendents, um, the Church of God in Christ is set up as far as the local level, like how we have school districts in um, the corporate and the regular world. As far as you have certain schools that are placed in certain areas and that are grouped by regions and districts, and then over that district is a district superintendent. So just how it is in the education field is the exact same way in the Church of God in Christ when it comes to the local level. So there was a certain amount of churches that were around a certain area that were um, in the certain vicinity and region. And then the, uh, there was a superintendent that would preside over that region. At the time of um, the previous bishop before Bishop Leroy Woolard, Bishop Leo Davenport, um, Bishop Woolard served as district superintendent for the Greenville District and Superintendent uh, Elder Lloyd served as his assistant. In 1991, Bishop Davenport passes away Bishop Leroy Woolard, who is still the bishop of Greater North Carolina jurisdiction, um, took over the jurisdiction and actually made Elder Lloyd district superintendent, and he served there for a short amount of time. So I say all that to say this. Um, Papa, thank you for the words that you taught us, for the lessons you taught us, for the things in life that you taught us, the things that you told me, the things that you have imparted into my family. Um, there's a really, really very important story um elder lloyd was really vital and really important to me because um when it came down to when it came time for my mother and father to have children this is a very transparent moment here um they had actually s experienced a few miscarriages before i was born and when it came time for me to be conceived and uh, my mother was pregnant they didn't tell anybody in the church because you know they'd already gone through some miscarriages and they just wanted to be careful they didn't really want to get their hopes up. So they only told Elder Lloyd. And Elder Lloyd told my mother, daughter, I think this is the one. Or this is the one, somewhere along mm -hmm. the lines of that. And lo and behold, I ended up being the one. So thank you, Elder Lloyd, for literally prophesying my life. <laughs> and also speaking many things into my life that you would um, tell me as uh, I was in your office. Thank you for imparting memories. And thank you for all of the things that you have taught us as far as the word, and I promise that as long as my family is on this earth and as long as I am on this earth, that your legacy will never die. So this has been our Black History Month highlight, and we thank God for the life and the legacy of Elder James Lloyd. All right. So with all of that being said, let's go ahead and get into our main topic. Greek letter organizations. Is it a sin? Put your neighbor say, is it a sin? Is it a sin? Is it a sin? Is it a sin? <laughs> I'm sorry, I tried to cut that out like a cool boy. Anyway, um, so recently, <laughs> I've seen on um, I've seen on social media, and uh, um, not only not only on social media, YouTube, and other platforms of the like, that there has been a lot of controversy concerning individuals who are Christian and who are part of Greek letter organizations. But more specifically, I'm talking about black Greek letter organizations. When it came time for our ancestors to go to school, 
um, and join certain organizations, many of the predominantly white fraternities did not allow them to do that. So on HBCUs and in their own selected spaces, they came together and made black certain black group letter organizations in order to be able to uplift and enrich our communities through different um, aspects and also to be able to preserve the rich history of uh, the African-American experience. So many individuals believe that individuals who are a part of these certain organizations as far as uh, what the controversy has been, people believe that these these uh, certain organizations are ungodly and that their the rituals and the practices that go on within these certain organizations are unbiblical and ungodly. And we've even seen in many cases where there are individuals who are a part of certain organizations that have denounced their letters and have denounced their affiliations and their ties to these organizations because of um, various reasons. I'll just say that in order to be nice. So <laughs> this is a topic that I specifically uh, agree that it would be good to do because Josh and I are well versed on Greek letter organizations. We are both Christian and we are both members of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, which is the greatest fraternity in the world. Argue with the wall. <laughs> so, <laughs> Josh and I, um, we crossed together at the Pi Beta Chapter. Shout out to the Almighty Pi Beta Chapter of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. We crossed at East Strasburg University on March 27th, 2019, uh, as part of the KTSC line. I'm known as Shockwave, and Josh is known as Lights Out. So I was the ace of the line, and Josh was the tail. Um, so we have we have a lot of experience, I should say. Well, not I won't say a lot of experience because we're not old heads, but we have a good amount of experience as far as being Christians and being in Greek letter organizations. Um, I have also a little bit of experience as well as far as my family goes because I'm a second generation member of Phi Beta Sigma. My father crossed in spring 1983 at the Zymi chapter at East Carolina University. Uh, my father not only is a Christian, but he also served as a church musician at Lloyd's Chapel for a number of years, even while he was a member of the Zymi chapter. And he always tells people that it didn't matter where he was on the weekends. It didn't matter whose chapter he was visiting on the weekends. By Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, he made sure that he was sitting on the organ bench at Lois Chapel Church of God in Christ, no matter what the circumstances and no matter what he had done over the past week. He said, if I was half asleep, I was still on that <laughs> I was still on that organ bench by the time the choir was getting ready to march <laughs> in. So I say that to say this. There are, I know a lot about being in an organization, being in a black Greek letter organization, and also being a Christian. So that really brings me to my million dollar question. Is it a sin to be in a Greek letter organization? Well, I'll go ahead and say this. In my opinion, I don't think it's that black and white. I don't think it's, when I say black and white, I don't think it's the fact of outright if you join one of these organizations that you are ungodly and, and you are out of the will of God. I don't, I don't think it's that black and white in my opinion. I think everybody has their own individual experiences and I'll go into that a little bit more. But I should say that um, as far as it goes in a spiritual aspect, as far as the church goes, um, I don't know why some individuals in the church are kind of acting brand new when it comes to this concept. Because even 
and then you can even look at this in the black church documentary the black church even black greek letter organizations have almost been hand in hand when it came to the fight for civil rights when it came to addressing and attacking certain social issues for example dr martin luther king jr one of the greatest individuals of the civil rights movement was a member of alpha phi alpha fraternity incorporated there's your black history month fact for the day you're welcome so that and even if you look up individuals from different organizations you can say famous members from uh, certain organizations and look it up on google when you get an opportunity and i guarantee you you will find somebody who is either a an upstanding member of the community and a vital part of the black community or b is a very important member of a certain ministry or leads a very prominent ministry and does a lot for the community in that aspect um Phi Beta Sigma, um, also another black history fact, one of our founders, most honorable founding father, Leonard F. Morse, was a preacher. And he was actually a reverend and became a reverend after he graduated from Howard University. So it's really hard pressed for me to be able to, for somebody to be able to tell me that because I'm in Phi Beta Sigma that I'm out of the will of God. Because, like, come on now. But um, I will say this, and Josh can agree. And I'm going to get him the floor in a minute. I know I've been talking a lot. And y'all probably sick of my voice right now. But it's my podcast. Deal with it. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I will say this. I've been a member for almost in March 27th of 21. It'll be two years. Dang, I'm getting old, bro. But um, out of the two years that I've been a part of this organization, I have never. Hear me and hear me well when I say this. I have never had to do anything that specifically violated my faith as a Christian or forced me to put my faith on the back burner. Never. When we were becoming members of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, they told us, go to church, get in church. I can think of off the top of my head our sister organization, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. When new members are initiated, they are given copies of the Bible. Like I said, like I, I, and I'll say this, I should say that. Um, when I talk about this, my opinion is a little bit biased because I can only speak for my organization. I didn't pledge Kappa. I didn't pledge Q. So I don't really understand. Or I really don't know or understand the inner workings of what they go through. So I can't speak on that organization. But I can say as far as when I joined my organization, I never, hear me and hear me well, I never had to do anything that would violate or come in co- or come in conflict with my faith. And I'll say this, and, and then I'll leave it alone. I don't think it's a sin to join an organization because at the end of the day, these are organizations that are impacting our community. And a lot of the stuff that I've seen as far as individuals who aren't in organizations, and I'll preface it with this, a lot of individuals who are coming out against these organizations are not a part of these organizations. Let's start there. So they don't really have an idea or a full idea of what goes on when it comes to the initiation uh, process and how that goes. They only know what the internet tells them. Now we know that the internet does not always have the most reliable and accurate and up-to-date information when it comes to our organizations. So, so that's, that's the, a fact. That's the first thing. 
let me start off with that. And then the second thing is when it comes to individuals who are denouncing, and this is going to preface what I'm going to say here, is that when it, I don't believe it's a sin to join the organization. However, I do believe it's a sin to place your involvement within the organization over your relationship with God. And that's really, the, nobody, no, and a lot of folks that's really talking about this, but I, I feel like going there today. I, I, I feel that in my spirit, Brother Joshua. <laughs> mm, come on now. I've looked at a lot of these denouncement videos. And when I see these denouncement videos, I see one constant. It's not as much the rituals of the organization, but it's the fact that these individuals have dedicated more of their time and more of their attention to their relationship more than they dedicated their relationship to God. Or they joined the organization before they became believers and then after they became believers they started to quote unquote see the light in their opinion about you know what <laughs> don't look like that Josh but <laughs> as far as being able to uh <laughs> as far as uh being able uh, being able to get uh inaccurate or whatever call your information about what goes on in that organization and basically believe they feel as though the things that they went through weren't ungodly. But at the end of the day, I see one constant that more so it comes about with the fact that either A, their relationship with God is not strengthened and that's more so a, a fault on their part than it is a fault on the part of the organization as a whole. And also I've seen that, you know, a lot of these individuals are who are not a part of these organizations are only bringing up stuff that either A, people have told them, or B, inaccurate information that they found on Google. All right, I'm done as far as that topic. I'm getting off the soapbox. Josh, go ahead, because I know by that face you probably have a whole lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. So, uh, basically, so the question was... Is it a sin to be in a Greek letter organization? Is it a sense of be in a Greek letter organization? So as a member of the almighty Pi Beta chapter, Phi Beta Chapter, what I want to say is this, right? So being in a Greek letter organization, not just being in just a Greek letter organization, but being in a black Greek letter organization, I feel that it is not a sin. And the reason why is because yes, I'm, I was able to go to church. Yes, I'm able to, you know, do things that I want to do in order to, you know, to grow spiritually every single day, right? And you know, the thing is that, yes, like as Mike said, like the denouncement videos and <laughs> like, yo, this is so crazy. Because you know, as Mike said, like you know, it's always the constant like of oh, like I I joined the Greek Latin organization and I just found I found Christ. And, you know, not, quote, unquote, see the light. Or, for example, like, you know, like, I, I, I believe exactly what Mike said when it comes to, you know, putting your, putting your frat or your, or your sorority, you know, over, over your, um, over, like, you know, growing spiritually within yourself. I don't, I don't believe that's true. Like, you should definitely, you know, grow spiritually every single day, right? Because if you're making you know, Greek life an idol? <laughs> like, bro, come on. Like, you cannot be making that an idol. You know what I'm saying? And that's one thing, because I know for a fact, 
that, you know, and that's, and that's another thing, too. You got to know yourself before you actually, you know, join the Greek letter organization. That, okay. Say that again. Hold on. Say that again for the people in the back. You got to know who you are. You got to know yourself before you get into a Greek letter organization. I feel like preaching today. I'm not well, go ahead on. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like, it's like, how is it that? Like people be like, oh my, I want to be, I want to be Greek, I want to be Greek, but don't even know, you know, some of the information when it comes to, you know, joining that specific organization, and it's crazy. I actually know somebody that, um, I'm not gonna say any names, but um, I know somebody that wanted to join, um, what's that fraternity called, um, Omega Sci-Fi, but the but then what happened was he he didn't want to join anymore, cause he just his process just wasn't the way he thought it was, you know, he had to go to church and, you know, he, he felt like uncomfortable with going to church. And it was like, he, he, he I don't want to say, I don't want to say the word, but he dropped. Mm. So yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep it like that. So, you know, basically, you know, when it comes to things like that, you got to understand, like, you got to know yourself. You got to know which organization you want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So you can be able to, you know, be that sick, like, be that Sigma man, be that Omega man, like, like whatever, new, <laughs> like, whatever man you want to be. You know what I'm saying? So it's definitely very important to know yourself before you actually join these Greek letter organizations, right? And I'm a very proud member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Yes, sir. So, all I got to say. But yeah, it's not a sin. Like, it's just crazy when people tell me it's a sin. Like, you know, these articles and, like, you know, like, as you said, like, the internet, <laughs> it's literally the internet, you know, that's not even up to date and stuff like that. So they don't know, like, the good the good things that we're doing in our community. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we definitely want to make sure we serve the community very well. And not even just that, but, you know, making sure that, you know, we're being that light. So that's all I got to say about um, about that specifically. I like the point where you talked about, like, it's important to know yourself as far as um, mm-hmm. knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin, for lack of a better term, and also being able to do research about the certain fraternity that you want to join, not just joining because you like the way that we step or stroll, not just joining because you like the colors that we wear or the letters that we have, but making sure that you join because you actually know what we do in the community and how we operate and how we do things within our community. And also being able mm-hmm. to get in contact with the individuals who run that chapter. Being able to express to them that, you know, that uh, my faith is very important to me. And that was especially something that Josh and I were especially mindful to include when we were going through um, our interview processes of being, of becoming members of Phi Beta Sigma. We want to be able to make sure that we express that we were very, um, I don't want to say religious because it's not really religion, it's, but it's more so that our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ was very important and very vital parts to our lives. And our profites respected that and they gave us room to be able to do the things that we needed. Now, if you are a part of an organization or looking to join an organization that does not allow you to do that, run and run far. But, do not, but do not say that in, in as a whole that we uh, that we as organizations are move. How should I say this? That we as organizations move in that fashion 
because it all depends on not only the organization, but the chapter as well that is on your certain campus. So if you are looking to join an individual organization and you are a devout Christian, and you are a devout Christian, as I, for lack of better terms, or you have a very, very, very intimate relationship with God, you want to be able to make sure that you express that and you want to be able to make sure that the individuals who are overseeing your uh your journey as far as being able to become a member of said organization that they are respectful of what you believe and they are respectful of the of the uh, certain activities that you are participate in and they give you space and they give you room to be able to fully express that and they don't fully tamper with that now that is the only thing that I will say would be a certain issue and is if individuals um, made that difficult within Greek letter organizations but other than that like we said Y'all are bugging. So, <laughs> with all that being said, <laughs> no cap. With all that being said, um, we want to thank you for tuning in to this episode. I hope we said something that was uh, that stuck out to you, that was of great importance. And please tune in for episode five. Um, like I said, we are also in the works of being able on let on the last episode. We are looking to expand our platforms in the uh, in the near future. Be able to be able to get it so that you all can listen not just on SoundCloud but any other um, streaming medium of your choice so we're looking into that we're also looking to expand our social media platforms so uh, if you're on Facebook um, go ahead and search up the Amen Corner Podcast you'll see our logo go ahead and like our page for updates when our episodes are released um, if you are more so of an Instagram person follow us at the Amen Corner Podcast to be able to get some more insight and also updates about what we're doing. And also when you are tagging us in certain things, if you're if you're tagging us in certain things, if you're listening if you're listening to the broadcast, let us know. You know, add us on Facebook or on Instagram and also be able to make sure that you use the tag the hashtag let the church say amen. That's the hashtag that we're rocking with concerning our social media. Uh, we want to be able to get connected with you all that are listening to the broadcast. Let us know what you think about the broadcast, even in the comments of the Facebook uh about how you feel about your organization, how you feel if you are a part of an organization or if you're um, looking to join an organization. So, with all that being said, my name is Michael Purvis, and my co-host name is Joshua Powell. And we want to thank you all for tuning into episode four of the Amen Corner podcast, and we'll see you back here again next week. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you act so sad? Get out of your bag. Serving God, I'm glad. Why you mad?